Welcome to Scarlet City. If you're new here, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, our mantra here is to be a people joining God's story of transformation and renewal. And if you're new, I and others would love to connect with you right after the gathering, get to know you a little bit, and share a little bit about who we are. Well, I want to invite you to open your Bible to Matthew chapter 6. You can use the Bible uh, in your pew, you can use your smartphone, uh, you can use the one you brought from home. We're going to be in Matthew 6, uh, looking at a famous passage as we've been going through the Lord's Prayer. I'm going to read our text this morning. We're in Matthew 6, verses 9 through 10. Jesus says, So pray this way, Our Father in heaven, may your name be honored, may your kingdom come, may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This is God's Word. Well, the first week of January, we kicked off this sermon series, The Power of Prayer. And we began by asking and looking at what do we do when the power goes out? What happens when the power goes out in your home? When a storm comes in, knocks the power out, especially if it's at night, you need to find a new source of power. So you fumble through the cabinets, you find the uh, the, what are those flashlights? Yes, that's what they're called. And uh, I know in our home, often we'll find the flashlights and the batteries are out. We're like, oh, the children, why have they not been using the lights? They've been using the flashlights. And, and then we'll find the candles and you've got to find a new source. Maybe you even need to go to another place to use your phone or charge your computer or whatever you need to do. But you need to find that source of power. And often the power goes out in our soul. And the things that used to bring life, whether it was relationships work, they seem to have lost their appeal. In our walk with God, we, we need to be connected to the source, source that can drive life and joy and flourishing. What do you do when the power goes out? Last week, we looked at the power of walking with God, knowing God, relating with God, communing with God. Jesus, he opens up this pivotal and transformative prayer by saying, our Father, reminded of the invitation into intimacy and walking with God. But this morning, we look at how Jesus qualifies this. He says, our Father in heaven, in heaven. And then the first petition or really declaration about God, he says, may your name be honored, hallowed be thy name. Reminded that we don't walk with God, relate with God in ways that are like any other relationship. God is utterly different. He brings a new kind of power. We must understand it and relate with it in ways that can channel it for life. Well, a few weeks ago at Scarlet City, we got some new LED lights installed in much of the downstairs. And Whenever you're getting new lights installed, I, I've learned, you want to hire a certified electrician. You want to hire someone who knows how to deal with electricity and how to install a light. And I can tell some of you might be a little worried, like, Jay, did you not know that before? You know, that's a problem. But yes, you need a certified electrician. And I remember the week that we, we got this done, because you, when you hire a certified electrician, you, it costs a lot of money. And I was talking to Megan and some friends that week, I'm like, man, I wish I was an electrician. You can make some bank. 
You know, and, and I think in my mind, I envisioned that they, you know, maybe took a class, took a class somewhere, and then they find the light, and they, you know, hit some buttons, plug some stuff in, and then there's the new light. But then I was talking with Josh, our certified electrician. I'm, you know, I was one of those probably like annoying people just standing there watching him do his work. And, and we're talking, and, and as he was installing one, he, he, always, he was like, man, my, my elbow's hurting. When he says his elbow's hurting, I think in my mind right there, my connection to my experience of elbow hurting, I'm like, yeah, you know, softball, ah, oh, man, like throwing the ball hurts my elbow. You know, it's hard work, but, you know, there's sacrifices need to be done when you're playing softball, you know, it's worth it on some level, but yeah, you know, elbow hurting. I mean, I didn't say this out loud, but it's what I was thinking. And Josh, you know, I'm like, you know, why, why is your elbow hurting? He's like, well, I got hit last week and got connected to a current, got shocked, and typically it goes away in a few days, but man, this one's lasting. <laughs> a little different than my softball elbow experience and pain, and and, I, and of course, I felt like so foolish and a reminder that an electrician, right, even, even when they go through a lot of training and it's their career, the pain can still happen because you need to know and be able to appreciate and be able to handle the power of the current of electricity. When we think about relating with God, knowing God, walking with God, we're reminded and we must know the power of God. That we don't relate with Him like just some friend strolling in the park, but we're relating to the maker and creator of all things. And just like an electric current, the power of it, it can be a source of light and life. It can also be a source of pain when not managed well. How can we relate with God that's able to channel His power to bring life in our lives. This morning, we're going to look at what it means to have God be a source of life-giving power, how we relate with Him in such a way. And really, what we're going to get to this morning is the very current, the very underlying current of the gospel, the Bible, and God Himself. I don't know what you came here hoping to hear. Maybe some you know, nice pick-me-ups and tips for life. But what we're going to press into, this is, this is the very central point of the whole entire Bible. And, and we can leave, you and I, we can leave this morning changed. We can leave changed. Maybe you've been attending church your whole life, learning about God, hearing about God, praying, doing the things, and yet the core truth of who Jesus is, never really, the, the, the switch never really went on. Or maybe you've connected, you've heard, and you've forgotten, much like I have and do on a regular basis. Just this past week, I was just feeling anxious and scattered about a lot of things and worrying about a lot of external stuff. And I had a friend, we were hanging out, a friend, his name's Nick Nye, and we were connecting, and he was just loving me, reminding me of the truth who Jesus is and how he wants to work. Maybe you need to just be reminded. But this morning, friends, we can leave transformed. So I want to invite you. Let's press into the very center, the very undercurrent power of God in the gospel. And here's what we're going to look at. God, as the life-transforming power, I want to talk about the pull on your heart, 
the home for your heart, and habits that can shape your heart. Your loves, your home, and habits. First, our heart. You and I are not primarily thinking things. We are loving beings. We are heart-led lovers. We are lovers. Jesus, he begins this prayer. He opens it. And what does Jesus want? What is his heart drawn toward? God's name being honored. God's kingdom coming. God's will being done. Jesus has a genuine heart for God. God is, takes center stage. And Jesus understands the importance of the heart for our life. In the Gospel of Matthew alone, 16 times Jesus talks about the heart. Here's a few examples. He opens a Sermon on the Mount saying, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. On another occasion, he says, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. He'll say, For out of the heart come evil ideas, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, slander. Out of the heart. And then in a few weeks, we'll be looking at this where Jesus says, For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Jesus understands it's about the heart. It's about what you love. It's about what you desire and want in life. Jesus knows we're lovers. Marketers know this too. Marketers know that if they want to sell something, they can't just appeal to your reason. They appeal to your heart. Uh, one, uh, Jeremy Ellens, a founder of uh, a marketing company, he puts it this way in, a, in an article titled, Effective Marketing Appeals to Emotions Instead of Reason. He asks you to consider whether you have a smartphone. He, who here has a smartphone? Can you just hold it up? If you're one of the few who don't, man, hold out. You're doing great. The rest of us have a smartphone. And why do we have a smartphone? Years ago, we didn't even have a category for a phone that could both, you could talk to someone, you could text them, you could take pictures of it, you could listen to music. We didn't even have the category. Why do we have that now? He points out the brilliant marketing efforts that appeal to the heart. And he gave one example of how Apple changed our view of what a phone can do. It was a famous commercial, maybe you remember it, a few years back where there was a boy. And the commercial is a young boy taking pictures of his family while they're at dinner, while they're hanging out in the home. He's taking, snapping pictures with his, of course, his iPhone. And then the commercial ends with him playing a, uh, what's it called, not a collage, but a video of the pictures and his mom's crying as she's watching this video of the moments, these sweet moments that their family had together. Apple knows you have to appeal to the desire. It's not about the phone. It's that the phone can be a means of enjoying life and sweet moments. Now, of course, they didn't show the kid just on his phone while everyone else is talking. You know, they don't want to talk about that. They want to show the goodness, how the phone can, can wake us to connect with others. It's about appealing to the heart. Jesus knows this. Marketers know this. And we know this as well. When we think about our New Year's resolutions, 
Now, it's, it's January 19th. I've made it three Sundays before talking about resolutions. That's pretty good because preachers love New Year's resolutions. I shudder to think of how many sermons this year, the first Sunday of January, were called like 2020 vision. You know, I mean, pastors love New Year's resolutions, which is a little different than I think most of us because resolutions is a little cliche. You know, it's a little not as cool as it used to be. Uh, a few weeks ago, we were hanging out with some friends, had dinner, and one of the ladies was like, does anyone have any New Year's resolutions? We were all a little quiet, and I chimed in. I said, uh, you know, I don't really do resolutions. This year, I'm more about setting goals and starting some new habits. And I wanted to give myself the biggest eye roll right there, like, <laughs> what is a resolution? You know, Whatever we call it. A new year presents an opportunity for some change. And if you think about, typically with resolutions, we have to think about what we'd like to see change in our life. But if you took a moment and thought, what's something you're good at? What if someone came to you and they asked your advice in doing a resolution? Maybe you're good at managing money. They're wanting to do that better. Maybe you're a healthy eater. A lot of us want to do that. Or, or you, you run, and you're a runner, and you work out, whatever it is. If there's something in your life that, man, you're pretty good at that, a musician, someone comes to you, what would, what would they need to do? You, there'd be a few things, but one of them they have to do is they have to want it. You know, if someone's like, hey, you know, I kind of want to eat good. You know, I think it might be all right. You'd be like, no, that's not going to work. If you're going to change, you have to want it and not just want the effect that it can bring. You see, real transformation happens when the thing itself becomes enjoyable. You start off running because you want to look good when you look in the mirror, and then over time, all of a sudden, running can become an end in and of itself. You want to eat healthy, and so you change your eating habits, and then all of a sudden, the pool of McDonald's and those cheeseburgers can lose their power, and now you actually enjoy eating healthy, eating a salad. It's when it grabs our heart. That's the point. Our desires is what motivates us. We are not thinking things. We're lovers. And so in order for us to find true and experience true change, we must point our heart in the right direction. We must consider what are the longings of our heart. What do we truly desire? We are lovers, and that leads us into our next thing to consider. Where can our hearts find a home? Where can we find a home? We see here that our heart can find a home in God's grace and love. Our heart can find a home when it's channeled and centered in God. I want to talk about why this is the case. Because, of course, you know, preacher, yeah, you're going to say this, you know, but why make our heart home in God? First, we need to recognize the challenge of this. You see, Jesus prayed, may your name be honored, may your kingdom come, may your will be done. Jesus longs for this, but for me, often, my longing is, may my name be honored. May my kingdom and rule come. May my will be done. We live in the challenge of competing loves, competing 
desires. And again, thinking about resolutions, of course, this is where we get tripped up, right? We make the resolution, I am going to run. And we go out and we do it. We run once, maybe twice or three times. But then our loves are put in tension. The desire to run and the desire to sit and lay down. Competing loves. The desire to eat that salad and be healthy and all sweet McDonald's and their Big Macs. Competing loves. The desire for God's kingdom, oh, we should, but then the desire to have my will be done. This is like the battle of life. Uh, one man puts it really well. Well, St. Augustine, in his book on confessions, an amazing book, I highly recommend you consider reading it. And Augustine, he, he wrote about his journey in life and where his heart was prone to find rest. And the book opens up with this pivotal statement, one of the most transformative and pivotal statements in all of literature. He says this. Augustine opens his book. He says, Because you, because you, God, have made us for yourself, our hearts are restless till they find their rest in thee. Hear that. Because you, God, have made us for yourself, our hearts are restless until they find their rest in thee. And then the book is his journey of trying to find his heart's rest in pursuing intimacy, trying to find his heart's rest in pursuing work and scholarship and how it ultimately led to him finding a home in God. And so I want to ask you, consider, where does your heart look to find rest? What is pulling your heart? What vision of the flourishing life is telling your heart, here, come here, find your rest here? You know, often we can think of these competing visions as like the good and the bad, but life's more gray than that. We take good things and make them ultimate things. We make them the center of our heart's rest and we get in trouble. Maybe for you, the vision that your heart is drawn to, toward is a life of comfort and pleasure. We live in an awesome world. There are created things that are so good. You know, maybe when you have this vision of rest and flourishing, you might imagine a sizzling steak with garlic butter on it. And you're drawn to that. The heart is like, yes. Or maybe you're one of those people who's been transformed and you're like a salad dripping with freshness. I want to be you. Or maybe that's you drawn to this. Or maybe when you think of your heart being drawn to a comfort, it's, it's chilling at the beach, hearing the waves, drinking a margarita or Corona, not worrying about your children drowning. <laughs> and you just, you're just there, maybe with one of your best friends. You don't need to talk the whole time. You're not worried about work. The phone's away. You're just reading and there. What's drawing? What's pulling like a magnet your heart? Of course, no matter how big the stake, you're going to be hungry the next day. 
No matter how epic the vacation, it's going to be done. Life reminds us that these awesome things cannot ultimately satisfy the heart, no matter how much we go to it again and again and again. So maybe for some of us, it's like, you know, yeah, I'm not into comforts and all of that. I'm a worker. I, I am going to work hard and I'm going to win. Maybe for you, your heart is drawn to winning, making it. You want this trophy, this metaphorical trophy. Maybe even it's going to be real. Maybe one day in your work, they have a whole day and they honor you. And they give you a plaque and you put it somewhere to show off. They're like, see, I've done something with my life. Of course, you know, competition, working hard, those things have their place. But when that becomes the pull of our heart, we know what happens. We run over people. We destroy. We don't prioritize the relationships that matter best. We just want more and more. We want to win again and again and again. It cannot be our ultimate home. Maybe for you, you're like, yes, my heart is not about winning or the things. It's about serving people. Serving, a servant's heart. Do you know someone who is right here? Someone whose heart is it's, it's genuine. They want to help people. They want to serve. And so they struggle to say no. You know someone like that? Maybe you're that way. And when you talk to someone who really wants to serve people, you know that often their life is just marked by anxiety, fear of letting someone down, often marked by overwork, and this, this struggle to believe that they're worth serving. And so when we make our heart the pool, just doing things for everyone else, we will wear ourselves out. What home can we have that aligns all the proper passions? Reminded of Augustine, because you have made us for yourself, our heart is restless till it finds its home in the rest in thee. When, you, when we center our heart on the gospel, when we center our life on Jesus and God, now it can align all the proper passions. Now, comfort can be a source of enjoyment, whether it's steak or salad, and, and it can point your heart to the maker. Now, work can be what it's designed to be, work. And it can remind us that God placed us on this earth to be stewards. It can point us to our maker. Service can be a good thing. Ultimately reminded that what everyone fundamentally needs is something we cannot provide, and that is Jesus. And so it points us to our maker. And also, what, can these, what have these things done for us? whether it's a vacation or food or work or service, if that's where our heart is, it will ultimately hold us into bondage. Jesus is the one who invites us to put it on him so that we can find liberation because Jesus gave up the comforts of heaven. Jesus' work brought him to the cross. And Jesus served giving his life so that we could be united with our maker. Jesus invites us to 
place our hearts home in God. Now, how do we do this? How? How do we channel our heart to God? You know, we, we, we said that we are fundamentally lovers. We're not thinking things. You cannot think your way to love God. If you could, it'd be easy. What would you need to do? Go to church, hear sermons, and read your Bible. If that's all we had to do, man, this would be great. But it's more than that. It's not just changing our minds. It's because we're lovers. It's, it's the heart. And we know this with our resolutions. Again, if someone came to you and was like, I want to be a runner. You can't say, you got to really want it. I really want it. All right, you're good. No, you, what do you, like, no, this needs to become a habit in your life. You can't run one time and be like, whoo, I made it. You can't eat one great meal and be like, man, I'm healthy. No, it's about the habit. It's about your habits. What habits can shape our heart, calibrate our heart to be pointed toward God? Well, there's a number, and they, we call these spiritual disciplines. And one of the core spiritual disciplines, one of the core habits, bringing it full circle now to Jesus in the text, is prayer. Prayer. Prayer has the power to calibrate our heart for God. Prayer has the power to take what we believe about God and to integrate it from our mind into our heart, into our body and actions. Prayer can be a transformative habit that aligns our heart, that helps our heart to rest in God. And so as we think about the habit of prayer, I just want to highlight a few as we get really practical. One way prayer, one form of prayer that can align our heart to God is praising God, praising Him. Last week we talked about wrestling with God, being honest with God. You know, one of the things reminded of Jesus in this prayer, He says, uh, may your name be honored. May your kingdom come. May your will be done. Jesus is praising God. He, he wants God's fame to be experienced by all. Praising God is saying, this is what I want. It's acknowledging the greatness of a thing and glorying in it. An apostle, a missionary, Paul, he puts it this way. In 1 Thessalonians, he says, always rejoice. Constantly pray, in everything give thanks, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Always rejoice, constantly pray, in everything give thanks, for this is God's will. Now, you know, there's a the cynical part of us that's like, good grief, Paul. Constant, pray without ceasing, what? You know, maybe some prayer warrior somewhere does that. Always rejoice. Why? And why does God want our praise? Like, whoa, did the pastor just say that? Like, think of why. Why would God want me, care about me, praising him? I mean, if he's God, it doesn't matter what Jay does. You know, I think C.S. Lewis, the author and philosopher, he put it really well. He talked about being stumbled on this. Why would the God of the universe want his praise, our praise? And then it occurred to him that it's not so much necessarily just for God, but it's for the person giving thanks. 
and bringing praise. He puts it this way. The quote will be on the screen. And this struck me. Maybe it'll strike you. He says, I think we delight to praise what we enjoy because the praise not merely expresses but completes the enjoyment. It, 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 excuse me, it is its appointed consummation. It is, not of, it is not out of compliment that lovers keep telling one another how beautiful they are. The delight is incomplete until it is expressed. When there's someone or something you love, you, you want to complete that love by telling them about it. Have you ever experienced that? Maybe it's with a friend, a situation like, man, you're amazing. Thank you. Oh, you know what? There's nothing. No, I don't. I'm not saying this to make you uh, to, to, so that you know. So anything for you, this is me. You really love something. You want to complete that enjoyment by letting that person or that thing or just anyone know how you feel about it. Praising God is a way of completing our enjoyment of God. Loving Him, cherishing Him, thanking Him. And you see, the habits of our world, the liturgies of our world, the things that shape us, point us away from gratitude, away from praise. It draws us into a vision of just being a critic, pointing out what's wrong, thinking if we can name the problems, then we'll find progress. And so we never find enjoyment. One prayer we can offer to God is praising Him, but also a prayer that can, again, a habit that can align our heart with God is lament. Prayers of lament. Jesus, in the, in the prayer, He says, may your name be honored. May your kingdom come. May your will be done. You know, in that it's a may, may it be because it's not fully realized. Jesus looks at the world. He's like, He longs for Jesus. For God's name to be honored. He longs for his kingdom to be fully realized and his will be done. And there are times when life is not in alignment with God's will. Jesus puts it this way earlier. He said, blessed are those who weep. Blessed are the weepers. Blessed are those who live in emotional solidarity with God, their maker. When your heart is finding its home in God, now you, you grieve the things that grieve God. As Jenny mentioned earlier in the liturgy and in the prayer, that our heart would be attuned, aligned with God. It means we can be sad about sad things because God grieves. God is sad about sad things. Our praise is not without lament and longing. For God's work and justice. And a third expression of prayer is contemplation. Contemplative prayer. This is the practice of habitually making space to align our mind and our heart for the presence of God. Now there are many forms and expressions of this. Some related to centering prayer or breathed prayers or solitude, but it's making space to let our heart 
be in touch with God? Do you make space to contemplate God and His gospel and His love in your life? Would you be open to doing so? You know, in our anxious, chaotic world, we're just bombarded with images and sound and things to do and lists. Is God just another part of the noise? Or can you take a moment to quiet your heart before him? And just think, just think. Uh, Martin Luther, a, uh, the one who started the Reformation. You know, how do you, the, Martin Luther, you know, he was an important guy in the history of the world. Uh, one, one thing, you know, this past week I was talking to Megan about leadership. And I, I was just thinking, like, what are the qualities of a leader that I would want? And we came back to prayer. Prayer. C.S. Lewis, these profound thinkers, Martin Luther, these are people of prayer. Listen to how Martin Luther puts it in his prayer and contemplation walk with God. The quote will be on the screen. I love this. He says, It often happens that I lose myself in one petition of the Lord's Prayer, and then I let all the other six petitions go. When such rich, good thoughts come, one should listen to them in silence and by no means suppress them. For here, the Holy Spirit himself is preaching. And one word of his sermon is better than thousands of our own prayers. So if the Holy Spirit should come and begin to preach to your heart, giving you rich and enlightened thoughts, be quiet and listen to him. Friends, are we making space? Be quiet and listen to God. We are lovers and our heart can find its home in God and we can enable that to happen through prayer. Will you pray with me? Lord, awaken us to the power of your love and grace. Lord, may we, like many of the sages who have gone before us, said, may we find our hearts rest in Thee. Our hearts turn away. We, we wander into good things, God, and we give them our heart, and then we find ourselves in anxiety and bondage. Liberate us. Channel our heart to You. May it find its rest and home in You and Your grace and Your love because there is a power that can transform our life. And may we be praying people, praying, communing with you, inviting your power into our life. Amen.